This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Today's guest, Linda Carney, was 14 years old when she got hooked on medicine from, of all things, attending an autopsy. So I'm sure the deceased, whoever he or she was, would be delighted to know that one of their lasting legacies is Dr. Carney's remarkable medical career. So she has a family practice in Texas, but when I asked her about it, she said she specializes in, quote, not needing Western medicine. And she contrasted that to the dominant approach, a a phrase that I had not heard until now and really like. She calls it ill, pill, and bill. And she said that basically constitutes primary care in this country. So Dr. Carney blogs prolifically about health at her website, drcarney.com. She was the medical director in Austin for the very first Engine 2 immersion at Whole Foods Market. And she is a passionate advocate for women's health, which is the topic of our conversation. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, Dr. Linda Carney, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So tell us a little bit about your practice currently, what you do. I'm a medical doctor operating a solo family practice just south of Austin, Texas, where I specialize in helping patients no longer need medications for chronic diseases that kill most Americans, like high blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol. As you know, Howard, each day in the USA, more people die of heart disease, cancer, and strokes than the number of people who died on 9-11. And I think that's outrageous because it, as we know, it's preventable, and we can change that through plant-based diets. So to keep it affordable for patients who can get in here to see me, I, I accept insurance payments, even if patients are coming from out of state, and those who cannot travel here uh, call me to schedule telephone consults. So basically, you could sum up my practice like this. Medications for those who don't want to hear about how food causes disease, but for those patients who want something better, I offer plant-based hope as an alternative to just ill, pill, and bill. (laughs) I like that one. Thanks. So I've got to ask, you know, when you say you take people from out of state and people can do telephone consultations, that's, you know, in a perfect world, that would be ridiculous, right? Because every every town would have doctors like you. So tell me, how, how did you end up doing practicing medicine this way when it's so unusual okay well um i hmm, i i've always wanted to help people but it's it's a funny story how i actually got into um medical school i i was um working as a 14 year old in the hospital peeked into the autopsy suite and amazingly enough, I, I got invited in by the pathologist to watch him perform an autopsy. At, at, the, age of 14, at the age of 14? At the age of 14, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was kind of amazing that he invited me in. But ever after that, I wanted to do something in the medical field. And uh, I started college majoring in physical therapy because of my love of athletics, like high school gymnastics. But the funny part of the story is at the end of my freshman year in college, a red-haired boy said, hey, Linda, why don't you switch your major and go pre-med with me, and then we'll take classes together. And so I did, because I still really want to help people. And, um, yeah. Okay, so but um, presumably in medical school, you learned the ill pill and bill model, right? Yeah, I did. 
I did. So when, when did you begin to question it? Well, okay, when I was nine years old, my new stepdad, Dwayne, was a vegetarian chef in restaurants. And his name was Mr. Mom, long before that movie, Mr. Mom, came out. And he was um, a great cook. And so I became a vegetarian before I knew how scientific it was, the healthiest way to live. And uh, then when I was 36 years old, I became completely plant-based during the CHIP program, the Complete Health Improvement Project. Dr. Hans Beal came to my town to present his CHIP seminar, and his science convinced me to give up all animal products and oils, and I, it was the best decision I ever made. And I believe you interviewed Dr. Deal a few years ago on this podcast. Am I right? I Dr. did. Jacobson? Yeah, I did. And uh, so, very good. Were you, very al- good. were you already a doctor practicing when you, when you met Dr. Deal? I was. I, I was 36 years old. I was um, board certified in emergency medicine. Uh, after my emergency medicine residency, I uh, actually practiced two specialties, both emergency medicine and family practice since the early 1990s. So here's what our listeners might be interested in, in my perspective, learn from both those specialties. During Hurricane Katrina, I worked in emergency medicine in inner city Houston, and my heart was broken by the parade of tragedies. I, I felt powerless to prevent the people, uh, you know, they had the strokes, the heart attacks, in fact, they were falling off the edge of a cliff, medically speaking. And I, like the emergency physician, was like an ambulance down in the valley at the bottom of that medical cliff because I was scooping up the patients after they had become broken and hurting. But I, I wanted to be a fence of prevention on top of that medical cliff. And what inspired me um, to become that fence of prevention uh, was Dr. Campbell's first book, The China Study. Mm. And as Sean and I read that, we moved from Silicon Valley to Texas to bring this kind of plant pure energy and healing to my patients because I couldn't do that uh, working for the big group of doctors in Northern California. So 10 years ago, I, I'm, I moved from working in Palo Alto, California to Texas and I opened this practice at All Med Physicians. <laughs> and when I think about Texas, I don't think of like, you know, a mecca of, of medical progressiveness and, and health. Did, did you choose a community that was a little underserved or is Austin like different? Uh, well, there are a lot of vegans in Austin, but Texas is the land of barbecue and Dairy Queen, as you know. And so, no, I, I didn't choose Texas because I thought it would be vegan friendly. I chose Texas because I had never run a business before, and the research said that the corridor between Austin and San Antonio was the fastest growing area in the nation 10 years ago. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's as good a reason as any to move to uh, a new place. So, so you came across my radar screen because of your articles um, and the information that you share openly and freely. You know, that's it's a nice blend of you know, the research science and sort of folksy, um, you know, inf- health information for ordinary folks. Um, is, is that kind of your style in, you. in, in working with, with patients as well? Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and yes, I guess, I guess what I'm striving to do is to make the science understandable and applicable, you know, to everyday life. When a woman comes in uh, or, or a male patient, I, I, I try to start where they're at with what symptoms are troubling them and show them how the science um, says that food could be causing their symptoms. 
and better foods could relieve them of their symptoms. And what what do people say when they hear that? Is it you know have they heard it before, or is this kind of news to them? Ah, that, that's a great question. Some people find me in this practice precisely because they're looking for a vegan-friendly doctor because they know that there's a power in foods and they want to know how to do it fast, how to do it affordable, delicious. But other people, they just find me in the phone book or they find me on their insurance website. And so they have no clue that they're about to hear that food can be medicine. And so some people are very blown away by the idea that Foods can be as powerful as medicine, and even actually, the science says more powerful than medicine. You can, you can get uh, better results from food than you can from pills. And so, yes, a lot of people are surprised, and some of the patients who have actually become plant-based, <laughs> when they first hear it, uh, they tell me things, and I write them sometimes in the margin of my, my notes, uh, I'll never give up meat. And, and then, you know, six months later, and they tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm plant-based now. I haven't eaten chicken in six months. And I'm like, what? Really? Do you know what I have written here in the margin of my notes? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm never going to give up meat. I know I said that, but, you know, I just I found out that I could have all the taste I want and lose my symptoms. And so it's easy. They, they, they act like it's no big deal. And yet, um, for many of them, it's, it's very eye-opening there. It's totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. how, how do you help people make the transition, right? It's one thing to, to give them the science, to give them the information, even to get them motivated and willing to try. But, you know, rubber meets the road. What, what sort of strategies have you found at work to help people make that shift? Okay. Um, I like to use evidence-based approaches and starting where they're at with the health issues that matter most to the person in front of me, I want to scientifically show them how each symptom could be caused by eating animal foods, as if those animal products are like poison to them. And one of the truly evidence-based approaches that um, I, I really like to share with them was um, how the engine to immersion um, when people had a complete change to a plant-based, low-fat diet all at once, it produced incredible results. And Rick Esselstyn's Engine 2 Immersion, uh, where I was the medical director, we saw cholesterol levels drop 100 points in five days with the employees of Whole Foods Market who came through as participants eating buffet style, all they could eat, even going back for seconds. And that's the power of a vegan diet. And I saw a, one person's triglycerides drop 188 points in five days. And some of these Engine 2 participants even stopped their statins during that week and still saw their lipid levels fall. And some of them stopped their blood pressure medicine and still saw their blood pressures fall. And so um, I tell people stories of hope because it encourages them. I, I tell them how participants in the Engine 2 immersion averaged a wonderful weight loss, almost a pound of weight lost per day and they were eating buffet style all that they wanted and that was while sitting through 40 hours of lectures and food demos that week with us offering them only one hour daily of supervised exercise and that and the exercise was optional didn't have to come to exercise only encourage them of course um, and yet even so whether or not they exercise they still lost the weight at the engine to immersion 
and they were thrilled and they loved the food. Because one of the things that people are most scared about, I believe, is that they're going to have to give up their chief pleasure in life. And nobody really wants to admit that our chief pleasure in life as humans, you know, one of them is food. And, and they feel like, oh, I could never be happy without my cheese or my eggs or my, or my chicken. And, and I want to help them to understand their taste buds are going to change. It's going to happen in as little as 30 days. The taste buds are going to change. And the vegetables that may be bland, boring, or bitter right now are going to start tasting better and better and better. Hmm. You, t you just made me think of something that I've never really considered before. This is when, when I talk with people, with my clients and, and coaching students, and I, and I talk to them about food. You're right. They do. They they are embarrassed to admit that food is as important to them as it is, and so they misdirect, and they'll 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 start talking about all sorts of other issues rather than just coming out and saying the truth. That I feel like my life would be diminished without milk, chocolate, and cheese. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It is. Um, it, it's it's a delicate dance. This conversation because you don't want to make people feel shallow. And yet you want to get real with them. You, you want to help them to understand. Well, this is what helped them to understand. I grew up hating beans and vegetables until my new stepdad came in and showed me, hey, there's, there's a way that things can taste better and still be healthy. And th that was eye-opening for me. And... I'm the kind of person who would have never pictured myself eating Brussels sprouts. Uh, but um, once, once you start eating these things, the more you eat them, the better they taste. And I'm pretty sure that right now, if I were to eat uh, a hamburger or a chicken, it would not taste good to me because my taste buds have become changed. And I want to share with patients the hope that it's not going to take that long uh, within, within months they're going to be liking foods that they never thought they would like. So what do people say when they come back for their the first follow up and they've and they've started doing it? What 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 you know, you can look at their labs, you can see that they've lost weight. What's their experience of of this first steps? Okay. Um, pardon me for I'm not sure how to interpret your question, but the first time that people come back after their initial visit, usually we've had some fasting blood work done. And so my pattern is uh, we sit down together and we go over that blood work, and maybe some of them have started to change their diet. Most of them have not. Uh, it's, it's a rare patient who jumps both feet in, uh, boom, okay, you told me to change, and I'm going to boom, change. Mm -hmm. Basically, the more the more they're suffering when they come to me, the faster they, they're motivated to change. But people who are not suffering that much, and many of these chronic diseases, um, it's not that much suffering initially. The symptoms are kind of silent. But, but what I do is I, I point out to them with a piece of paper with their lab results on it, and right in front of them, I point out to them, okay, your hemoglobin A1C is now above 6.0. So that's a three-month average of your blood sugars, and that means that you are now pre-diabetic. This means that more than 50% of the beta cells in your pancreas 
have stopped functioning, but you can get them back. You don't have to go on to become a diabetic. You can change your insulin sensitivity with a low-fat plant-based diet. And so the, the time when it really starts to, to click for them is when they realize, oh, my goodness, my cholesterol really is higher than I realized. Oh, I am now pre-diabetic. Oh, I do have a high blood pressure. This is my second visit in a row, and it's still, you know, 145 over 98. <laughs> and, yes, I, I probably do have a problem. So the first step um, in, that, in that second visit is awareness of, oh, I need to pay attention to this. It's the premature aging is creeping up on me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're you're dealing with uh, when I learned in business is uh, a marketing technique called the future cost of current inaction, where you're kind of painting painting them the future. You're drawing the uh, you know the the timeline, and they don't like Mm -hmm. it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You're right. Right. So one of the things I, I wanted to talk to you about specifically is your take on women's health, because I've talked to a lot of people, you know, a lot of doctors in the plant based community about health in general. But we really haven't covered women's health specifically. And you've written wonderful articles about this. And so, you know, give give us an introduction to how you might think about women's health differently than a, a GP or uh, a, a gynecologist who is, you know, who's not into lifestyle the way you are. Okay. Um, women, t- and thank you for um, saying what you said about my articles. I, I love writing about women's health, so thank you for that. Women's health involves more than just gynec- gynecology. Um, women in today's world, are, they're busy, and they often have so little time to devote to staying healthy and keeping their weight where they want it. And while they're busy taking care of everybody else, obesity and disease creeps up on a woman despite her best efforts to, to eat healthy. She may not know how she's torpedoing her health with high-fat food choices. And she eats what she's always eaten, but in middle age, the consequences of those food choices come home to roost. And yet, uh, traditional doctors out there may tell her that these symptoms are just part of aging, they're inevitable, but we know they don't have to be. Here's, here's my intro to women's health. Too many women are undergoing surgery for breast lumps, uh, bladder lifts, removal of the uterus because of heavy monthly bleeding, and those surgeries are totally preventable with the right food. Low-fat plant-based foods can save these women from needing those surgeries. More, more than one of my patients has prevented her own hysterectomy that was recommended to her by her specialist because she chose to adopt a plant-based way of eating. And the, the Start Smart system is what I like to call it. But um, uh, it, it's, it's exciting to see people avoid unnecessary surgery. And that... that those unnecessary unnecessary surgeries can be prevented and a whole life changed. And that's um, what I want women to know about um, the women's health issue. It's more than just gynecology because what we eat can affect all the diseases that she gets. Of course, the the number two, one, two, and three are uh, heart disease and cancer and stroke. Hmm. Now, you mentioned that women are, are busy. 
Um, you know, men are busy too, but men, it's in some in some respects, I think we have more permission to kind of take care of our own needs. Do you see a lot of women come into your practice who've kind of, you know, you're telling them, you know, exercise, take care of yourself, change the way you eat, and they've got this sort of mountain of other obligations in their mind that have to get taken care of before they can take care of themselves? That is a very, very good point. And that's why they need support to do this in a way that fits their time crunch. Uh, I, I, I want to help women to see that the time efficiency, the productivity that they're seeking to get, to get as much done as they need to do can be enhanced by a plant-based diet because a plant-based life can make a huge difference in preventing hot flashes, cancer, skin blotches and wrinkles, osteoporosis and loss of height as we age. Uh, plant-based diets can help women avoid the operating room for broken hips, cataracts, knee replacements, which of course are not limited to just one gender. But think of how much time we spend in middle age and older age having to take care of our health because the health is broken in some way, whereas a little bit of time spent in prevention could have could have made the person so much more efficient over the lifespan. You know, there's an old saying, a stitch in time saves nine. And an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure. That's what I'm trying to help her see. Just a little bit of time now, and it can save you a brighter future. In my experience, very often in the family, it's the woman who starts the process of eating better and you know, then finds that the husband and the children are resistant. Do you, do you see that as well? That's true. And so we need uh, kid-tested, husband-friendly <laughs> recipes. And I ask the women to, first of all, um, not expect the world to change. If she wants to do this for her, do it for her, even if they choose not to. Because after she learns maybe just one new recipe each week, maybe that's all she has time for, one new recipe each week. Then after 12 weeks, she's got three months worth of dishes that are very family pleasing. And she can begin to win their respect through their taste buds. Because the way those hearts of the children and the husband are often won is one taste bud at a time. And if she doesn't preach to them or push it on them, she's going to keep from turning them off. In other words, she's going to still have that access to their open-mindedness so that she can, with delicious food and with well-placed little things, little comments about the science, she can gradually, gradually introduce it to them because the children and the husband may not be at their teachable moment. I, I call it the teachable moment. They may not be suffering. They may not have a diagnosis. They have no symptoms. So it's really hard for them to change. She may be the one suffering, the one who has sought out the medical provider and, and, and learned about this. But if she gives them delicious foods and they realize, oh, I can eat healthy and still love it, see, that was the message of the Engine 2 immersion. That was the point of us taking the employees of Whole Foods Market and feeding them without meat, dairy, eggs, and oil for a whole week so that they could realize 
oh, it's scientifically based and it's delicious. What's not to like? Mm. Uh, and I wanted, to, I wanted to come back to the Engine 2 immersion. How did you get hooked up with, uh, with Engine 2 and with Rip? Oh, uh, he was Austin's former vegan fire, uh, no, former firefighter. Uh, he, he's plant-based. And uh, I, I met him at the American College of Preventive Medicine that was in, uh, held in Austin. And basically, a dream came true in that I was standing in the registration line and a very tall gentleman stepped up behind me, and it was Dr. Caldwell Usterton, Jr., MD. And I was thrilled that I was standing next to Dr. Usterton. <laughs> and from there, uh, he, he was kind enough to uh, invite me, uh, both of them going to dinner, and we all went to a restaurant, and I found myself sitting across from T. Colin Campbell in between D Dr. John McDougall and Dr. Usselson. I, I was in heaven, <laughs> and, and, and I was speechless. I was just speechless, and, and Rip and, and Ann Usselson were there too, and that's how we all met. And then a, a year later, he called and said, would you please be my medical director? And I was grateful, very grateful. I, I learned so much. Oh, I had the time of my life doing that. That's terrific. But I, I can just picture, you know, you had, and I'm glad it was you because like most doctors, the opportunity would have been wasted. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. So as very providential, yeah, as medical director, did you find that you, you one of the things you had to do was kind of titrate people's medicines and maybe, you know, take them off just so they would stay safe, you know, so they didn't, uh, you know, become hypoglycemic or uh, or have, you know, real issues with lipids? Was that was that a concern during the immersion? Yes, I was hired specifically as a medical director to safely take them off their medicines because the power of the plant-based diet is such that when you start eating this way, if you're on blood pressure medicine, your blood pressure medicine needs to be gently uh, weaned off so that mm. you don't uh, faint with, with low blood pressure. And those who are type 2 diabetics, their insulin levels had to be cut about 20% per day. But you know what, Howard, what the, what the thing was that was so amazing was the type 1 diabetics had their insulin doses cut 20% per day also. I, of course, I'm never going to get a type 1 diabetic off their insulin. They're, they're always going to need that. But their insulin requirements were basically cut in half or more by the end of the week. And that was wonderful. Mm. And tell, tell me from a medical perspective why that's important. What, what does um, exogenous you know, insulin, the insulin that we don't manufacture ourselves but have to take in, either because we're insulin resistant or insulin deficient, why is it not a good idea to keep taking that or to take as much? Or, or, you know, why is it a good idea to take as little as possible? Oh, that's an excellent question. Insulin, whether we inject it or whether our own bodies make it, has two side effects, makes us hungry and makes us store fat. And if you are an overweight, middle-aged, type 2 diabetic, those are the last two side effects you need, being extra hungry. I mean, who, who doesn't fight against food cravings and, and storing fat? Who needs fat? And so if we can become more insulin sensitive, which is what the food at the Engine 2 Immersion did, is it made both type 1 diabetics and type 2 diabetics more insulin sensitive, they don't need as much. And there were some very lucky type 2 diabetics who got completely off their insulin 
in five days. It was just so exciting. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so let's let's come back to to women's health. So what 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 are you know the, we have the the chron- the killer diseases that affect men and women. What are some things that that women specifically need to to watch out for that a plant based diet can help with? Okay, being over estrogenized contributes to being overweight for both men and women. And what we eat and drink as a young person can silently imbalance our hormones without any symptoms until we get to be middle-aged. Excess estrogen causes cancer in both men and women, and I'm not talking about the estrogen that comes from medications. Our own internal production of estrogen can become excessive, and this can lead to a host of problems like high blood pressure and the blood clots that cause stroke and heart attack in both genders. Excess estrogen causes a list of diseases that is way longer than just women's issues like breast lumps, uh, hot flashes, painful ovarian cysts, or heavy monthly bleeding that makes surgeons suggest hysterectomies. Men and boys can build up excess estrogen too, which can suppress their testosterone. Mm. And so where, where does the estrogen come from in the standard American diet? Ah, that's a wonderful question. How I wish that every woman knew that there are eight factors that can create an excess amount of estrogen in her body. And I'm talking not just bioidentical estrogen from, from outside the body, like hormone replacement. I'm talking about her own estrogen. And so the foods and beverages that uh, cause this uh, are, are not... Um, not as readily found in a plant-based diet. So um, of, of the eight, shall I go ahead and launch right through them? Is now a good time to, to talk about that? Go for it. Okay. Number one, eating too much fat can lead to excess estrogen. And the bad news for plant-based eaters is that you can have plant-based fat that is also going to increase your excess um, estrogen production. And um, every fat cell in our body is a factory for estrogen. But when you're eating oils, that can very much stimulate your own system to, um, to produce uh, more estrogen. So uh, plant-based fats, such as avocados, uh, nuts, we have to be careful. Some body types have to be more careful than others. It just depends who you are. But this excess estrogen from uh, uh, dietary fat is found in both men and women. Number two, wearing excess body fat uh, raises estrogen also. I remember how I said that each fat cell is a factory for estrogen. And so the fat that we eat becomes the fat that we wear. That's the connection between point one and point two of the eight factors that cause excess estrogen. And the more body fat that we start out with, the harder it is that we have to work to rebalance these hormones and to get the estrogen levels down. Number three is dairy. Dairy contains too many estrogen precursors. Those are the building blocks of estrogen. I, I can think of um, seven different ones in, in dairy, in cow's milk products like yogurt and cheese. The reason that uh, cow's milk has so many estrogen precursors is because the, the, 
the purpose of cow's milk is to grow an 80 pound baby calf into an 800 pound yearling in one year. So growth, growth, growth is the idea of cow's milk. And so the cow packs a bunch of estrogen into her milk, grows that baby cow, but there's too much estrogen for humans and it does a lot of damage to our health. So, um, one other reason that dairy contains so much estrogen is that in the U.S., modern uh, dairy farming makes the rancher um, milk the cow during her pregnancy. And the estrogen goes from 15 units to 1,000 units from the pre-pregnant cow to the pregnant cow. So the pregnant cow has you know, 1,000 units uh, per um, milliliter of um, estrogen precursors in her milk, and in this country, we're using that milk, and cows are kept artificially inseminated and kept pregnant uh, through much of their life, which shortens their life dramatically, you know, from 15 years down to, to four years for the average dairy cow. Uh, point number four, uh, the excess causes of estrogen, is that eating cholesterol raises estrogen levels, and cholesterol, as we know, is only found in meat Dairy and eggs. Okay, so so let me let me stop you there and come back with a couple of questions. Um, okay. For, first one is, I have uh, a lot of trouble convincing, you know, vegetarians or vegans to cut back on their oil. Like they feel like you know like yeah. and, and and the conversation is you know, well coconut oil and what about olive oil? Um, do you have references that because because the the idea that eating oils and too much uh, too much fat can raise estrogen levels, I feel like is a really good argument that I want to try with people. So where, where can you point me to, uh, to studies or evidence or epidemiology to make that link? Ah, that is a very good question. It's an excellent question. And if I could just off the top of my head right now quote those studies, I wouldn't be Linda Carney, MD. Uh, <laughs> Linda um, Carney, MD, had, had to create drcarney.com. So she, so she would have a place where she could go when she can't remember the scientific that, reference. That's, that's hilarious because <laughs> yesterday, yesterday I was interviewing Dr. Michael Greger and about you know, oh. his, his new book, How Not to Die. And he says he uses it as a reference because he can't remember stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the All right. So how about and, we, how about we tease it, we tease people with it, okay. and and if you have if you put your hands on an article or two, I'll include it in the show notes uh, at plantyourself.com. Okay. If uh, people if people who are listening just search yes. for uh, Carney C A R N E Y, right? Yes. And if they just do a search on the website, they'll find this interview, and they can look in the show notes, and we'll we'll put the references there. Oh, that's a great idea. And and may I give credit to the wonderful people who have taught me uh, so much of, of what I've learned. One of them is Dr. Neil Barnard. And Dr. Neil Barnard has a, a book called Eating, um, let's see, The Cancer Survivor's Guide. And in that book, there are wonderful references about estrogen and, um, and fats increasing estrogen. And I'm, I'm greatly indebted to Dr. Neil Barnard for much of what I'm uh, telling you today. Mm. What what it's in a book about cancer. What's the link between estrogen and cancer? Oh, that that is wonderful. 
the link between estrogen and cancer is that estrogen is a growth promoter and too much growth out of control is called cancer. Mm. And estrogen is like, yeah, estrogen is like lawn fertilizer. It's, it's the flush blood lining of the uterus, which we call the endometrium. Endo means inside. If the flush blood lining is the lawn, estrogen is the lawn fertilizer. And progesterone is the lawn mower. Uh, every month, the endometrial lining, that plush blood thick lining, is shed out because of uh, progesterone. And so when a person is overestrogenized, uh, they promote too much cancer. And the important thing, the most important thing I want our, our readers or listeners to, to take away from this is when you're overestrogenized, you're promoting cancers not just the glandular type that you would expect not just breast, and ovarian, and uterine cancer, not just prostate cancer. It's not only women's cancers, it's men's cancers. And estrogen excess promotes cancer in male bodies just as readily as it does in female bodies because men have estrogen, not as much, of course, as women do, but they have estrogen. And when they get too much estrogen, they get cancers of all kinds, thyroid, colon, um, brain cancer, lung cancer. And so realizing that decreasing your body's total burden of excess estrogen can be anti-cancer is the reason that the principle going through telling people, you know, the eight principles that cause excess estrogen, why people need to pay attention to that no matter what their age, no matter what their gender. Gotcha. So before we go on to five through eight, I'd love for you to address the the soy issue, which, you know, a lot of people, um, who, you know, the Weston Price Foundation folks and paleo folks are, would say that's that soy is uh, an estrogen promoter. What's what's your take? Oh, I love to talk about this. First, let me say that soy is a high fat legume. And because soy is one of the higher fat legumes, you have to be careful because remember what the first factor that we talked about in causing excess estrogen is eating fat. And so I do not think of soy as a bad food unless it's highly processed. I think that isolated soy protein is not good. I think that hydrolyzed soy protein is a dangerous food. So I try to eat my soy in unprocessed forms. But notice that I just said I, I try to eat my soy. It's not that um, soy is bad when it's in the unprocessed form because there are many scientific studies that show that eating soy is cancer protective and the cancer they were studying in that particular study was breast cancer. They had the women who ate edamame and unprocessed soy had less breast cancer. So how does that work? Because there is a connection between estrogen and soy. Soy has phytoestrogens and phyto, P-H-Y-T-O, is a Greek word meaning plant or literally to grow. So these are plant estrogens, and they're like a decoy. Dr. Jacobson, you can picture these decoys as um, binding to the cell receptor. Soy estrogen binds to the cell receptor so that real estrogen cannot bind and do its damage. And I have some illustrations, if you'll indulge me. Picture a, um, a big jumbo jet and it's approaching the runway, and the air traffic control tower says, um, 
big jumbo jet, you have to keep circling. You cannot land on the runway because a little private airplane has just zoomed in and taken over the runway. Well, the little private airplane is soy estrogen or plant estrogen, and the big jumbo jet is our own body's real estrogen. And so until the little private plane gets off the runway, the big jumbo jet cannot land in the same way that when you have soy estrogen covering those receptors, real estrogen cannot do its damage. Ooh, how clever. So, so when, when, when you say um, unprocessed, so edamame obviously are the, the soybeans, fresh soybeans. Um, what else do you consider unprocessed or lightly processed soy that's, that's still acceptable? Well, tofu is minimally processed and, and soy milk is minimally processed. So, uh, yes, I use those, uh, but I don't use them every day because I am, you know, a 56-year-old woman and I uh, don't need all that fat. Do I use tofu? Yeah, I use it about once a week. That's what my genetics are. I have to fight against um, high cholesterol. That's just my genetics. My husband, he doesn't. You can, you can feed him whatever and his cholesterol wouldn't, but it's going to be very, very low. And so everybody's different in the amount of fat that they can tolerate. But when I limit tofu, it's not because I'm afraid of soy, but because of the fat content in it. However, I tend to no longer eat the... Um, the fake hot dogs and the, and the meat analog uh, products that I ate when I first uh, encountered vegetarianism uh, as, as a child because I don't think that those are the healthiest way. I want to eat whole, unprocessed foods. That's just much healthier according to the science. Cool. All right, you you're ready to, uh, to pick up with number five? Yes, I am. If you will permit me to just go back to number four, which was eating cholesterol raises estrogen levels. The reason I want to mention this is because I wish that I could show you a visual right now. And that visual would be, I want to show you the cholesterol molecule. And right next to it, I want to put the estrogen molecule. What you would see is you would see a carbon ring, four of them in a row, like a chain of carbon rings. And that's the sterol backbone. And notice that cholesterol has the letters ST in it, and so does estrogen, ST. And this is because estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and cholesterol, if you put them all on a page as molecules, you would say, oh, my goodness, they look so similar. The body is very good at converting cholesterol into estrogen. So the reason that point number four, the causes of excess estrogen, the reason that eating cholesterol makes you have too much estrogen is that that's what the liver does. It can create estrogen outside of a woman's ovaries. And of course, men don't even have ovaries. And so, uh, so both genders are getting too much estrogen whenever they take in the sources of cholesterol. And there is no cholesterol to speak of in plants. And that's, it's really good news. And so uh, point number five Lack of fiber in our diet leads to excess estrogen, and that's at the cellular level, and that's not necessarily measurable with a blood test. And, and so here's where I want to interject. Most patients will say, well, doctor, do I need a blood test for estrogen levels? And some cases do, and some cases don't. Um, usually I don't, but 
the kind of estrogen I'm talking about is at the cellular level. So you wouldn't be able to measure that anyway. But in the bloodstream, in this country, the bell-shaped curve, how they determine what's a normal range for estrogen, it is so broad that almost everybody falls into the normal range, even if they're over-estrogenized for their body. And so point number five, lack of fiber. Um, fiber is like a sponge. And fiber soaks up excess estrogen and carries it out of the body in the solid waste. So allow me to illustrate that with a little story. It's about the liver. 24-7, the liver is like a washing machine, and it's taking out of the bloodstream things that it doesn't need, that the body doesn't need. And one of those things is estrogen. And so it sends it down a little tube called the bile duct and dumps it into the intestines where it's hoping for a sponge called fiber to soak up that excess estrogen and carry it out with the solid waste. But if there isn't enough fiber in our food, then when the estrogen gets dumped into the intestines, the intestinal villi, those little finger-like projections whose job it is to absorb stuff, absorb stuff, it absorbs the estrogen back into the bloodstream. This is called enterohepatic circulation. Entero means liver. I'm sorry, entero means intestines, and hepatic means liver. And so back around through the circulation, estrogen goes doing its damage. And so this is why we need fiber to assist the liver. When the liver dumps it out, we want it to make it all the way to the exit. Well, so, so that's like having the washing machine um, send its dirty water back into our, uh, our drinking water. Oh, I never thought of that. That's a very good analogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Howard, I'm glad that it's not your job to check stool content for estrogen level. But believe it or not, some researchers, they, they did that. They checked stool content and they found that people who eat a low fat, whole food, plant based diet have a higher estrogen content in their stool than people who eat standard American because the people who are eating plant-based are excreting that excess estrogen. And this is why they're thought to have lower weight and uh, lower cancer levels. I mean, it's, it's, more, it's not as simple as that, but, you know, that's one of the contributing factors. Very cool. Very cool. All right, what else you got? Number six, drinking caffeine raises estrogen levels, and so does eating cacao. The small amount of caffeine in cacao have been shown in 2012 to raise estrogen levels. And number seven, drinking alcohol leads to too much estrogen. And now you know why. Because anything that impairs the liver or even distracts it from its work um, is going to make it so that the liver can't take the estrogen out as fast. And we know that when we drink alcohol, alcohol is toxic to the body in such a way that the liver has to immediately spend its energy metabolizing that alcohol so the person doesn't go unconscious. And if the liver is um, distracted and can't take the estrogen out, estrogen levels are going to rise. And then the final um, way that we get too much es um, estrogen inside of us is animal feed. Animal feed, this is what the food that the animals are eating, animal feed contains hormones and antibiotics that raise our estrogen level. And one of the things that just shocked me to learn was that 80% of 
of all the antibiotics produced in this country every year go into the feed of healthy animals. And why do you think the rancher would do that? Because he's selling by the pound. And the more pounds, the more profit. Mm, so, so the estrogen is, uh, is good for raising the, the weight of the animals that are being sold. Absolutely. And the hormones and the antibiotics are uh, making that body bigger and rounder. And that's what estrogen has a tendency to do. It makes bodies bigger and rounder. It's a growth promoter. Without estrogen, there wouldn't be any fetus. Without estrogen, um, there wouldn't be breast development. And estrogen is a factor in the overgrowth out of control, which is called cancer. Hmm. So it's an, it's an interesting analog to, uh, you know, gr growth is generally a good thing in nature, except when it's taken yes. too far, right? So, so ca cancer is, right. is sort of, you know, gro growth uncontrollable, um, you know, human civilization to a certain extent is an, is an analog of that. We, yes. we don't know when to leave yes. well enough alone. Uh, I want to right. come back. I want to come back to number six about caffeine. Um, how how does that affect uh, estrogen? You know what? I, not being a researcher, cannot explain to you um, that scientific study of how caffeine raises estrogen. But I will tell you that I have seen the practical application of that, in that there are patients in my practice who are completely plant-based and they're oil-free, but they drink a lot of caffeine and it sometimes leads them to have excess monthly bleeding. And when they stop the caffeine, I say, listen, let's just give it three months. You can do anything for three months, right? Let's just give it three months. And lo and behold, problem goes away. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. so it's, do, do you... Um, advise or encourage your patients to kind of go 100%, like never have a drink again, never have a piece of chocolate, never have a cup of coffee, or is it on a case-by-case -case basis depending on their, their genetics and their goals? You know, I hold up before people the ideal, and I say the closer you approach to this ideal, the better your health. But I don't want you to drive yourself nuts if you feel like, hey, if I'm not perfect, she's not going to be my doctor anymore because, I, you know, I'm not perfect myself. And uh, what people do, I, I, can't, I can't change what they do. I can only hold out to them the science and say, here's what the science says. What do you think it means for your life? And some people choose to, uh, to avoid it completely. They're like, I don't want to hurt my endothelial cells. I don't want to increase my risk for cancer. I don't, I don't want to do that. And other people, you know, uh, they're going to take it as they can. And, and I'm there to support them every step of the way. Wherever they're at in their journey, I'm going to support them. Gotcha. What's your relationship with the medical profession, with, uh, with you know, local colleagues, with, uh, with you know, co any conferences you go to? Because obviously you're still way out of touch with the mainstream. You're treating uh, conditions very differently. Do you, do you get into it with them? Well, um, my, my goal in life is to win hearts, not arguments. And so, I, you know, I, I, if people would like to dialogue about the science, I'll share with them what I've learned, and I'll share with them the success stories uh, from my practice. Uh, and, there, and there are so many of them. I, 
I, I just I wish I could share. They're on my website. They're on drcardi.com, and, and there's even many more. But with my colleagues, I I know that they're not going to be impressed by anecdotes. At, they're going to be impressed by the science. And so that's another reason why I created drcardi.com, because it's, it's there. The science is there. I'm not the researcher. I'm just uh, putting it out there for people to see. And so with my colleagues, I very much want to preserve relationships with them because, you know, life is long. And we may have the opportunity to influence people if we just keep those doors open and say, you know, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And if they choose not to, I want them to know that's not going to impair our relationship. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm still board certified. I'm still going to these conferences. And uh, I, I share when people ask me to. But in my, in my free time away from my patients, creating Dr. Carney com is a way for me to say, if you're interested, here it is. Gotcha. Are you seeing any differences in a doctor's attitudes now than when when you were come right, you know, going through medical school and coming out? Have have there been shifts in the profession, or is it mostly external? It is amazing. I am I am so, so grateful to see minds changing. Because I think people who truly care about the science, who really want to be evidence-based, if, if they're honest with themselves and, and with the science, they can see that this is an idea whose time has come. And I am amazed at the number of physicians out there who are beginning to wake up to the possibilities. I know, however, what they're up against. They're up against people who... Some people just say, hey, I just, I just want to go to the doctor and get a year's worth of medicines and don't bother me. I, I don't want to change. And so the physicians are afraid that they're going to lose their patients if they, um, if they mention this to them. So what happens in my experience a lot is as, as I talk to patients uh, and, and as, I, as I go on um, social media and, and interact with people from around the country, and especially at my um, public speaking seminars, when I, when I talk to people after I presented in the U.S. or Canada about these topics, people say that their doctors are more open to it if they bring it up. But most physicians out there are not bringing it up because they believe people will not do it. But I'm glad to say that the tide is turning and physician attitudes are changing, although it's painfully slow, and I'm not sure it's going to be fast enough to keep from breaking the economy because Medicare is a big part of the U.S. budget, and 45% of Medicare is cardiovascular. And um, unless people see the wisdom of this way of eating, uh, we're not going to be able to sustain the level of disease that we're creating in this country by um, believing the myths of the food industry, which say you need meat for protein, or you need milk for calcium, or you need fish for omega-3. Gotcha. So tell us a little bit about if folks want to stay in touch with you. I know you have, you know, drcarney.com is this very comprehensive website. You also um, provide um, courses and DVDs. And so if someone wants to learn more from you, what are some avenues? 
uh, veggieboard.com. You can see specific uh, DVDs. If you'd like to get off specific medications, there are some DVDs there. You can watch free trailers at veggieboard.com. Just click on the streaming media. Spell that. And, Spell that for uh, us. V-E-G-G-I-E-V-O-R-E. Like carnivore, but veggievore.com. Gotcha. Okay. And my system, starchsmart.com, is a way of eating, and that's my social media network where people can vlog their journey with before and after pictures, and they can share recipes, and there are forums uh, where people can uh, support each other. And my, web, my practice website is allmedphysicians.com with, uh, with the patient portal that gives us secure encrypted email. If people would like to become my patient, I, I have an email um, avenue that I can be compliant with the privacy laws. And another way that people can get in touch with me is Austin has a new plant pure pod. We call it ATX Alive. And we... Uh, created this after a screening of the film Plant Pure Nation by T. Colin Campbell's son, Nelson. And uh, so we, we now have a growing group of supportive people in Austin, Texas, and we have a Facebook page. All right. Very good. Well, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's something to be said for people who do the research, but there's something to be said for people who speak with your level. It's not even confidence. It's just simply calm knowing of what's possible, you know, that when, when you talk to patients and when you're talking to us now, it, it, it see, you know, I feel that people can get motivated simply because you're speaking from a place of such confidence that you've seen it a thousand times before, that this is simply the way the world works, the way the sun's going to rise tomorrow, the way if you drop a glass, it's going to fall to the ground, that, that these, you know, that these laws of food that are so confusing to people are actually predictable, like, like gravity and like the motion of the planets. So I really want to thank you for taking the time and um, to kind of, you know, really recommend that people who are struggling, who are lost in the, the mire of confusion, reach out to you for, for this level of, of clarity and hope and inspiration and guidance. Thank you. I, I appreciate your kind words. I just want to say how grateful I am for the book that you co-wrote with T. Colin Campbell, your book, Whole, because that book, I, I, I learned so much from it. I just, I thought it was uh, well-written and, and very, um, it, ex it explains some some heavy scientific concepts in ways that make this kind of thing accessible. So I just want to um, thank you for what you're doing. And um, if, I, if I could mention, uh, you mentioned Dr. Michael Grieger, and he's going to be at Health Fest, and I'm going to be speaking at Health Fest and Neil Barnard and Chef AJ, and that's the first weekend uh, in April in Marshall, Texas, at healthfest.com. People can learn more about that. And I am um, just really grateful for people like them, people like you, who have published books to help us to understand the science. Because actually, I refer to the book whole a lot. Um, it's, it's been a big part of the success stories of my patients, even though um, it's just me 
sharing with them in a simple way what I learned in books like yours. So thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I learned a tremendous amount from Hull as well, as you can well as you can imagine, working with uh, T. Colin Campbell, yeah. his, his half a century of, uh, of experience and, and research. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll let him know that, uh, that our, our work is being used um, on the side of the angels here. And I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you get back to the, uh, the, the art and science of healing. And again, Dr. Linda Carney, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Be well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on almost 150 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And while you're there, please sign up for the weekly email newsletter. I include links to articles, my weekly TV show, Triangle Be Well, as well as notification of the most recent podcast episode that's just been published. Speaking of Triangle Be Well, this week I talk about a really cool technique for change that I first learned when I was an organization development consultant back in the uh, last millennium. It's called Appreciative Inquiry. And Chip Heath and Dan Heath have an excellent book called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard. And they make it easier for us by calling the same concept Bright Spots. And I talk about that at Triangle Be Well TV, which you can find at trianglebewell.com and then click the TV button up at the top navigation. Big thanks to new podcast patrons, Amanda Hatherley and Mary Jane Wheeler, as well as the stalwart contributors, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, and Amy Good. Thank you guys so much. If you would like to become a patron, you can pledge a one-time amount or an ongoing donation to the podcast. You can do that over at plantyourself.com. Again, right sidebar, there's a couple of buttons there. Patreon is one, donate is another. And really, the more regular monthly income I can count on from the podcast, the better I can make it. Uh, even labors of love have expenses, and this one is expanding to take up more and more of my time and energy. And even a dollar a month means a lot. In, in terms of the feedback that this work is appreciated and valued out in the world. Speaking of paying the bills, the other way I pay my bills is through health consulting and coaching. If you'd like some help in that arena, reach out to me. Drop me an email, hj at plantyourself.com. Got a lot of different ways that I work with people, and I'm happy to spend some time on the phone with you figuring out if there's a way that works best for you. In garden news, we're expecting a late spring frost tonight, so... As soon as I put this episode in the can, I'm going to go out and put the cover cloth back on the, the kale and the mustards and the collards and uh, put the chickens to bed real tight. And we'll sit it out until morning. And hopefully this will be the last of those frosts. And we can start taking the, uh, the new seedlings, the tomatoes, the basil, the zinnias, the tomatillos, and get those in the ground without fear. So I hope that all of us, if we uh, experience momentary chills, that we're prepared that we can weather them, and that we can emerge stronger, happier, healthier. And as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>